Man, I'm excited. I hope you all are excited too. I'm going to tell you a different story though, aside from my excitement. I want to let you know that something many of you have probably heard me say over and over probably several dozen times is that as a teenager who came up in that wonderful decade known as the 80s, and who became a young adult in the 1990s, I have always been one of the biggest fans of Indiana Jones. I hope and pray that everyone out there, with the exception of the youngest among you, know exactly what set of movies I'm talking about here. The classic Steven Spielberg set of movies starring the great Harrison Ford as an archaeologist and treasure hunter, Indiana Jones, wearing his very cool brown fedora hat, which I once had one of those, and a brown bomber jacket, also had one of those, and a belt complete with a revolver, it was a fake one, and a bullwhip. I still want to look and dress and be as cool as Indiana Jones. And really, aside from just how darn suave and adventurous Indy was, at least in the three original films, that is, There's always been something else that I believe helped connect me with Indiana Jones and those movies. That probably was the fact that two out of the three original films had a storyline focused on the search for ancient religious treasures of our Judeo-Christian faith. While the final film in the original series would be built around Indiana Jones' father searching for the Holy Grail, the cup our Lord Jesus Christ drank from at the Last Supper. The series kicked off and became one of the most popular adventure films of all time based on a race against the Nazis for something even more ancient and mysterious. Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark was the search for the elusive Ark of the Covenant from the earliest Hebrew scriptures. Now, for those of you who only know the Lost Ark from Indiana Jones, let me remind you of the historical Ark's importance in the Pentateuch and in the historical books of the Old Testament. The Ark of the Covenant was the actual religious chest created to hold within it the most important and holy items of Jewish faith, the center of which were the tablets on which the hand of God in Exodus had written the Decalogue, also known as the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapters 25 and 26 lay out the description we have of the ark and of the original tent that was constructed out in the wilderness to house the ark. On top of the gold-covered wooden ark, a prop that is pretty well done in the movie, were two cherubim angels on which the early Jewish tribes believed God, God's self, was seated above on a cover described in the Old Testament as the mercy seat. Later on, the ark would be moved by King David into Jerusalem and finally placed in the first Jewish temple built by King Solomon in a new version of the Holy of Holies in the inner sanctum of the temple. 1 Kings chapter 8 says this, The priest brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place underneath the wings of the cherubim. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud came over the house of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Now, In the year 587 B.C., The Babylonians would invade Jerusalem, 
and they would destroy Solomon's great temple. And with that, the Ark of the Covenant would be lost forever. Some would say it was taken away to Babylon with the other holy vessels of the temple, while others would say that it was put away and safely hidden, hidden somewhere never to be found. And that somewhere is perhaps why it was such a great story on which to build those Indiana Jones movies. For if Indiana Jones couldn't find the lost Ark of the Covenant, no one could. And if you remember that first movie, you know he did just that. He found it. But of course, the story of Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark is fiction. While the historic Ark of the Covenant in ancient Israel from the Bible, I absolutely believe was without doubt a real religious treasure. And contained within it was exactly what it claimed. The very words of God made in covenant with God's chosen people. That covenant was the foundation on which the fallen world, ruined by Eden, in Eden by humanity's first disobedience to God, began its long movement back in the direction of salvation. And really contained within that golden box on which God was seated was the map back to where that creation had first started, back to a world that had been perfect as God had intended it to be in the beginning when he looked at all he had created, including the man and the woman formed in God's very own image and saw that it was all good. But that ark, as we know, like the ark of Noah before it, eventually was lost. And both the Israelites and all the world continued to fall deeper into sin and despair and into death. And believe it or not, that's really where the story picks up for us this morning on the fourth and final Sunday of this Advent season. For in the midst of our past month of Advent gospel stories, of the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great power and glory, and of the foretelling of John the Baptist and his call for repentance and a coming baptism of fire and the Holy Spirit, this final Sunday brings us around again to that which gives everything we've heard so far real flesh and blood. And in so many amazing ways, this is a story again of a great ark and of a new covenant which is completed and fulfilled and which holds the promise for all. This morning we have skipped over the first amazing story of the Annunciation, which we were able to recite in that beautiful hymn of the angel Gabriel appearing to a poor young Jewish girl in the back country of Judea and declaring that not only has she of all people found favor with the Most High God, but that she who had never been touched by a man is about to miraculously conceive in her womb a son who will be holy and will be called the Son of God. It is within that moment that we have this first earth-shaking event that involves Mary, leading us ever closer to what we will be celebrating in just a few days here in this church. For in this story, Mary begins by saying, the most important phrases. She says, yes to God, let it be unto me according to thy word. And in saying yes, she immediately 
has undone the sin of the first mother and father and opened the doors wide for a final and new beginning for God and for humanity and for creation. That's the first Advent story of Mary. This morning in Luke chapter 1, verse 39, the next movement of this story begins. This time, it is Mary's cousin Elizabeth, who herself, we know, in her old age is carrying a very special child. And it is Elizabeth who first reveals that that which was foretold by the angel Gabriel is already underway within Mary's womb. When Mary arrives at the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah, that cloud of the Most High has already moved and overshadowed Mary. And so Jesus is already growing and developing within her. A son who will be nothing less than the Word of God, which as the prologue of the Gospel of John says, was with God and was God in the very beginning. Elizabeth reveals it to us just as her own baby is proclaiming it to her by literally leaping within her own womb. Elizabeth recognizes that Mary is carrying something incredible in that moment, something that will have the ability to finally reconstruct that first covenant made by God with Noah and then with Moses and with Joshua and with David and with Solomon. That first covenant which was carved on tablets of stone and carried in a gold-encased chest on which God would sit and speak to the clouds is now becoming a new covenant that's taking a new shape in flesh and blood, not wrapped and covered inside of gold and wood, but inside a living, breathing, pure and faithful woman. And when this new blessed mother gives birth to the very Word of God incarnate, From infancy on, the new covenant, which is Jesus Christ, will sit on a new mercy seat that is his holy mother's own lap. I tell you, if you ever have a chance to look up on Google and see some of the spectacular carvings and Renaissance paintings of a young Jesus sitting on the lap of his mother, think again of the story we hear in Luke's gospel this morning and try to see those images with the eyes of those in the early church. For the church has always known these ancient stories from Holy Scripture. And there is little doubt that in these stories that they knew and carried within them, they would have instantly recognized in these images of Mary and Jesus a new Ark of the Covenant and a new mercy seat in that blessed Theotokos, the God-bearer, the mother of God who brought God to humanity into the world. Certainly that is what Elizabeth first recognized. For the Bible says when Elizabeth feels the baby leap inside her, she was suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit, exclaiming with a loud voice, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfilled, there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. That's the most important line of all. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. How would Elizabeth have been so overwhelmed by this visitation of Mary? Well, Elizabeth already knew, 
that there had been a failure in belief before. She already knew that her own husband, Zechariah, priest of the temple of Jerusalem, himself told by an angel of the Lord that Elizabeth would bear a son, had failed to be able to say yes and believe. And Elizabeth would have known that all of Israel had heard prophet after prophet try to call the people of Israel back to God. And Israel, too, failed to say yes over and over again and failed to believe. And she certainly would have remembered the stories of that first Ark of the Covenant, of the dancing and the leaping of, with great joy of David, which he had shown when the Ark was finally returned to Jerusalem. Elizabeth would have known all of this. And so when Mary appears at her door, having believed and trusted God in this moment against all logic and against all fear, now carrying within her God himself, it is no wonder that this holy woman is overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit because she herself sees the beginning of the light that will break into this dark world and overcome it. Brothers and sisters, in the midst of this Advent season, as we struggle with short days and long, dark, cold nights, it's easy for us to want to be someone like Indiana Jones, out seeking the treasure that seems lost, that we need to find to bring us hope and salvation. Well, the story that we have this morning is that the treasure we are seeking is not lost at all. We know that it's already been revealed to us by Elizabeth in this final Advent gospel. We know that the Blessed Virgin Mary, mother of God and mother of the church, is both a new Eve, righting the wrong of the first mother of humanity, and by doing so, she is on this fourth Sunday of Advent, a new Ark of the Covenant, carrying within her the very light that this world so desperately needs. And with that final revelation... We are ready for God's incarnation again. O come, thou dayspring from on high, and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadow put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Amen.